So continuing with our sermon series where we're explaining why we do the things that we do as Christians, over the next three weeks we're going to be looking at the Nicene Creed in three parts, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And today we're starting with the Father. But what is a creed? Well, a creed is essentially a statement of belief. It's a summary of those beliefs that are essential to Christianity. In other words, if our beliefs contradict the creeds, uh, then those beliefs uh, cease to become uh, Christian beliefs. Uh, the creeds pick up on the key facets of our faith uh, that uh, all Christians at all times and in all places would be able to agree on. The first draft of the Nicene Creed dates back to 325 AD, and it emerged because the early church were facing all kinds of uh, heresies and false teaching, and they wanted to pinpoint the core Christian beliefs. The Nicene Creed has helped the church to stay on track down through the ages, and it continues to do so today. So here's the first part of the creed, the part that we're looking at today. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. So looking at the first part of this creed and looking at our uh, reading from Genesis 1, there are three things that we're going to consider. Uh, Firstly, we're going to focus on some of God's key attributes. Uh, Secondly, we're going to think about what the Bible means when it talks about a, a creator God. And thirdly, we need to address the question that so many people in our culture uh, ask, and that is, well, doesn't science disprove the Bible? We've probably all heard that uh, question before. So let's start by looking briefly at some key attributes, God's key attributes. The creed begins, we believe in one God. And the first four words of the Bible in English say, in the beginning, God. Notice it doesn't say in the beginning, the gods. The Hebrew Bible uses uh, the word God, singular. And this set Judaism apart from the other uh, religions of the surrounding nations in the ancient Near East. Uh, The nations surrounding Israel were polytheistic. Uh, That is, they believed in more than one God or lots of gods. Some of the nations surrounding Israel were henotheistic, which means Uh, that they believed in the existence of lots of gods, but only worshipped one god. But only Israel were monotheistic. They believed in one god, maker and ruler of all, and that is the god they worshipped. It's at the beginning of the Bible, it's at the beginning of our creed. There is only one god. The next thing we learn from our creed is that God is a father. And when we pray the creed as a whole, we learn that God is father, son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Uh, In other words, God is Trinity, Trinitarian. We're going to look at that a little bit more next week. Next attribute, God is almighty. He's all-powerful. There's no limit to his power. And finally, and this is uh, what we're going to focus on today, God is maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Or as it says in Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what does it mean to talk about God as creator? When I was at theological college, we had a quiz night 
And we could ask, well, there was a section where we could ask our lecturers anything. And uh, the team that, whose lecturer came up with the best answer would get the point. And one of the questions was, what is God's most unique characteristic? And the winning answer came from a man called Lincoln Harvey, who answered that question with one word. He simply said, aseity, aseity. And that word means an awful lot. It means that God is uncaused. He's eternal. He's always existed. He's completely self-sufficient, and he is separate from his creation. And so there are two types of things. There is God, and there is everything else. There is creator, and there is creation. Everything that exists is here because God spoke it into being. And what's really important is that we understand that God stands outside of his creation. He's intimately involved with creation, but he stands outside of it. I've heard some uh, quasi-Christian, New Agey type uh, teaching that says that God is this kind of life force that flows through everything. Uh, but this is confusing because it blurs the lines between creator and creation. Again, God sustains creation but he stands outside of it. So this is the Christian worldview. One God, all-powerful, a creator of all that exists. But this brings us to the question that comes up time and time again. And, and that is, hasn't science disproved the Genesis account of creation? And the implication of that is, hasn't science disproved the existence of God? So let's try and respond to that question. Uh, the first thing we need to establish is what kind of text, what kind of writing is Genesis 1? Do you know that the Bible is not a book? It's not a book. It's a library, Biblia. It's a collection of 66 different books written by at least 40 different authors over a period of some 1,500 years or thereabout. And there are lots of different types of literature in the Bible. There's history, there's ancient biography, there's love poetry, there's letters, uh, there's at least one book that looks like uh, it's been written for the stage, a play. Uh, there, is, there are songs, there's wisdom literature, there's a specific type of writing called apocalyptic, and lots more to boot. And all these different kinds of writing contained in the Bible, they're called genres, and whenever we read a book of the Bible, it's really important that we understand the genre that we're reading. We need to understand the type of book that it is that we're engaging with. If we misunderstand the genre, it leads to all kinds of confusion. Let's say I go to my bookshelf and I pull off what I think is a novel, but actually it's a cookbook. And I begin reading chapter one, Curried Goat, one of this is Jamaican cookbooks, Curried Goat. Cut meat into bite-sized pieces. Season with curry powder, escallion, garlic, pepper, and salt, and set aside for at least one hour. Remove seasoning from meat and set aside. It's not going to be very long before I'm thinking, this novel is rubbish. This is the worst story I've ever read. It makes absolutely no sense. But it makes perfect sense. So long as you understand that you're reading a cookery book. If you think that you're reading a novel, then of course, it makes no sense. And it's the same when we read in the Bible. There are lots of different books, and we need to make sure that we understand the genre that we're reading. And some books actually contain uh, different genres within the same book. 
Now, my Bible has 882 pages. One of those pages is dedicated to the uh, creation of the cosmos, the universe, all that exists. Perhaps that's an indication that this is not meant to be an in-depth scientific account of creation. The genre of Genesis 1 is not scientific textbook. We really need to uh, understand that. The problem is, in modern times, uh, we, when I say we, I mean our culture, we've come to believe that the only way we can uh, know anything is through scientific endeavor. In other words, for something to be true, you need to be able to prove it scientifically. Uh, But that is absolute nonsense. Uh, Allow me to borrow an illustration from Professor John Lennox. Give me a second. It is a cake, from the, if you can't see it from the back, but you know it's a cake now. Uh, so I have here a cake. It's a very nice cake. It's a fruit cake. Now, supposing we were to take this cake to the lab for scientific analysis, and at the lab there just happened to be a team of the world's leading scientists in each of their respective fields. Now, the nutritionist would be able to tell us about the balance of the various foods that form this cake. The biochemist would uh, analyze the cake at the biochemical level. The chemist would be able to analyze the very basic uh, chemical elements contained in this cake. The physicist would get down to the electrons and the protons and the quarks, and the mathematician would identify the fundamental equations governing the movement and the motion of the uh, protons and electrons in this cake. And after all this very detailed analysis... I ask the question, who made the cake and why? No amount of scientific analysis could ever answer that question. Can I ask the person who made this cake to stand up? Mum, why did you make this cake? So now we know who made the cake and why the cake was made. The only person who uh, could answer that question is the person who made the cake. You see, when it comes to creation, science is trying to answer a very different set of questions. Science is interested in the when and the how questions. The Bible doesn't really try to answer those. The Bible answers the who and the why questions, questions that we can't possibly answer through scientific endeavor. Science is the study of God's creation, but God stands outside of creation. You wouldn't expect to be able to prove or disprove the existence of God through scientific method. You can't find God through the lens of a telescope or a microscope. The only way we could know our creator is if he made himself known to us. And he has done. God who stands outside of creation has entered into creation in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So science and Christianity are not opposed to one another as uh, many people seem to believe. Because on the whole, science and Christianity are trying to answer very different questions. Science is wonderfully exciting and interesting, engaging, but it has its limitations. Actually, I would think it's curious uh, that some people seem to think that science and religion are incompatible. If that were the case, why are there so many scientists who are Christians, including some of the world's most eminent scientists, both past and present? But I think there have been plenty of scientific discoveries that support the Christian view that the cosmos has been created. For example, before about 1920, it was uh, widely accepted that the universe had always existed. But then scientists uh, discovered that the universe had a beginning. You've all heard of the Big Bang. Well, that's a relatively recent scientific theory. Interestingly, the Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, in the beginning. There is a natural law that exists everywhere in the observable universe, and that is, simply put, the law of cause and effect. In other words, nothing anywhere just happens. Everything has a first cause. So the universe had a beginning. The obvious question is who or what caused it, which is easier to believe, that God created something out of nothing, Or that nothing created something out of nothing. And then there's the fine-tuning of the universe. There are so many variables to do with our universe, our solar system, our world, that need to be just right in order for life to exist on this planet. In fact, the degree of precision is simply breathtaking. Stephen Hawking, he's the scientist in the wheelchair with the voice synthesizer, he explains that if the density of the universe one second after the Big Bang was greater or less than one part in a thousand billion, then the universe, as we know it, would have ceased to exist within about ten years. One part in a thousand billion. That is an incomprehensible uh, level of precision. Hawking wrote this, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. In our culture, it's easy to dismiss the idea of there being a creator God, largely because so many people are willing to ignore the question altogether. And I think a lot of people just jump on the bandwagon without ever really giving it much thought. And for many, they don't want there to be a God, especially not the Christian God. Because if Christianity is true, then it means we ought to obey God's moral laws. And that makes us accountable. And people don't want to be accountable. They want to be left alone to live their lives. They don't want God interfering. Even if God is uh, loving and benevolent and has their best interests at heart. And if that's our start point, if that is our start point, how easy it is to say, well, science has disproved the existence of God, so I don't need to worry about that one. But I would urge anyone to think twice about glibly dismissing life's biggest questions. Think about it. Right now, uh, we are on this huge rock we call Earth, uh, which is spinning on its own axis at about a 1,000 miles per hour simultaneously hurtling through space at roughly 10,000 miles per hour. 
orbiting our sun. We're sentient human beings capable of building, nurturing, loving, being creative with art and music. We appreciate beauty. Uh, We're capable of studying our world, even our universe. We have the capacity to make scientific discoveries. Surely the existence of a creator God who made us in his image gives us the most credible explanation for all this. The Nicene Creed begins with the words, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And this dovetails into Genesis 1, the opening chapter of the Bible. We know from this chapter that there is one God, that he is pre-existent. He existed before everything else. He has always existed. He spoke creation into being and he made mankind in his image. And what's more, he's given humanity, given us the noble task of caring for his creation. And the conclusion of all this is that Christianity, uh, the Christian worldview, gives us a credible and rational explanation as to why there is something rather than nothing. Belief in an all-powerful creator God cannot be dismissed on a purely scientific basis. And that is something that the vast majority of scientists would agree with. I think it's faith-building to be reminded that our creeds and our faith make intellectual sense. And next week, we'll be looking at the second part of the Nicene Creed, which focuses on Jesus Christ. And that will paint a much clearer picture of what God is like. If we want to know God's character, then we need to look to Jesus. But that's next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that this world is not just, a, this universe is not just a, a random mistake, something to, that just happened. We thank you that you've created this universe, this world, you've created us with a plan and a purpose. We thank you that though you stand outside of your creation, you're separate from creation, yet you entered into it, into it in the person of Jesus, that we might know you. Uh, that we might grow to be more like you, uh, that we might have an understanding of you and a relationship with you. And we pray this morning uh, that we will wholeheartedly embrace this Christian worldview, that we are here, we are created, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you with a purpose. And above all, to be in relationship with you now and forever. Father, help us to draw nearer to you each and every day and to love you with our whole hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.